The nine o'clock lasted 30 seconds. I actually had to make them stand up and do it again. The point in all of this is, well, multifaceted. First and foremost, I'm just, I want to see, we're church for crying out loud. And we never act like it. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, we don't. We don't act like it. You know, it's, um, you know, today, the, frankly, the teaching, um, it, I mean, it's not going to be particularly interactive necessarily, but it, at least in terms of verbiage. Uh, but in terms of what it is we're going to be looking at, it's, it's a concept that is extremely difficult for us to receive. One of the reasons I want to do this is, you know, we, we don't engage. We are so busy running from one thing to the next and consumed with our stuff, we don't engage with each other. We're so busy trying to, you know, even in church, you know, we have a program. We have to get through this. It's got to be, this has got to be three minutes. And although we don't do things that way necessarily, you know, we're, we don't have a kind of a roadmap of this is how everything works. But in, in the back of your mind, you're always thinking we got to get from one thing to the next. And I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. You know, I think sometimes we set ourselves up on Sunday for failure during the week as believers, as children of God. That just came to me. <laughs> but, I'm th but I'm thinking to myself, I just watched some really cool stuff happen, except for these two girls in the balcony who are like, I'm not, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not talking to anybody. I'm going to be an American. Um, Although you'd be better described as a Swede. I don't know about, I'm married to a Swedish woman. Um, I like her. And um, we've been together for a long, long time. And the interesting thing, I'm learning about the Swedish culture. Being th married 34 years, you, you know, pick some things up. But there was a show, I'm like, we got all day, so I'm, I'm going to just tell stories. Um, we, uh, there was a show on TV called Welcome to Sweden. And I can't recommend it. It's, you know, I mean, it's not a bad show, but, you know, there was... It's Swedish. You don't want to watch it. So, um, but living with a Swede and watching actual Swedish culture on television and how they conduct themselves, we laughed so hard, our stomachs hurt. I mean, it was crazy. And then her family is from Sweden, like, and they had Swedish family come to visit in America, and we went to meet them. And it was exactly as I imagined. It was really crazy. And here's the thing about Swedes in public. Now, privately, they're the most gregarious, loving, fun-loving, affectionate people you ever meet. But in public, they don't talk to each other. They don't. They, they don't speak. And so if, if, as an American in Sweden, you know, we want to we look at each other's eyes, say hello, engage, smile, right? Not in Sweden. It's, hey. So my wife has this, this great picture of Swedes waiting at a, at a bus stop, and it's a person standing every five feet like this. <laughs> I don't know why I told that story, but here's the thing. This is what I'm glad about. Listen, it was, it's fun for me to watch people talk to each other and engage one another, and where I think we set ourselves up for failure is this, is we, you know, you practice, you play the way you practice. And if we're practicing, to some degree, we're practicing church here, and this is how we do it, that sucks for the rest of the week, right? I mean, because we're just, we're not, we've not primed the pump of engagement. We've not, we've not allowed ourselves, listen, we've not allowed ourselves to be uncomfortable. Mm. So let me go there for a minute. Do you realize that God wants us to be uncomfortable? 
that the whole process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus, is a great series of discomfort. Now think about it for a minute. Every moment of every day, Jesus is trying to get you to become more like him. Guess, guess what that means? You can't be like what you were, which brings you to a threshold of discomfort. <laughs> That's the whole point of becoming a Christian, frankly, is the discomfort of becoming more like Christ. And everything that I have to put beside me or put away from me or put behind me or take off of me, that's uncomfortable. It's not. So, welcome to the world of discomfort. And I'm going to be the main practitioner of it. All right? So. Hi, Nancy. It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. It's very good to see you. So, you're going to need your notes. Oh, I'm Tony, by the way. If this is your first time here, yeah, welcome. Um... (laughs) The, uh, I'm one of the guys. Uh, Mosaic, listen, we want to engage with God through the Word, but we also want to engage with God with each other through fellowship. And that's, we just need to, yeah, be uncomfortable. You're going to need your notes. You're going to need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, keep that one. If for whatever reason, another Bible of some sort would better fit your needs, please let us know and we'll do our best to accommodate you because we want you to have the Word of God in your hands. Uh, there's also a version app. No, version. yeah. On the version app, there's a thing called Live Event. You can jump on that and see the notes there. So you're going to need notes. You're going to need the Bible. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. And this is what we're going to be talking about. We've been talking about wise love that God loves wisely and we're called to love wisely. And last week in particular, we looked, two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of being prudent. In other words, the ability to kind of hold back and, and express our love wisely, that we're all, we all naturally love, but most of us don't know how to love. And knowing how to love comes with wisdom. And you can't be wise unless you're prudent because what prudence does is it forces us to take into account the repercussions or the consequences of what I say, my tone of voice, my behavior, my body language. So last week what we did was we took the time to learn how. How do we cultivate or develop prudence? And the key word we saw there was consideration. That in order for us to be prudent, we must be considerate. That was a hard lesson. It's a really hard lesson. We're going to pick up from there. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's wise love and consideration. So do, let's do this. Go to, go to, um, go to Genesis chapter 2. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the sacrifice of Jesus. Mostly what I... Oh, put my glasses on upside down. The, um, so a couple things I want us to get today. First of all, lighten up. Just enjoy the day. Let's enjoy God, the Word, you want another. Have a sense of humor. All right, that's number one. Number two, although it's actually number one, is I just want to focus on Jesus today. And in particular, I want to focus on his sacrifice. Because sacrifice to Jesus is equal to love. So there's nothing, no greater thing a man can do for his friends but to lay down his life, to sacrifice himself for them. And the expression of his love was his sacrifice. And, what I, and it's Communion Sunday, and so we're kind of leaning there anyway, but this is what I really want us to understand. His sacrifices began well before the cross. His sacrifices apexed at the cross, but they began way before the cross. And this is really important because his, the loving expression of God was not reactionary. It wasn't like all of a sudden he invented people and people kind of all of a sudden stumbled and he didn't know what was going to happen. And so he reacts to it by saying, okay, Jesus, you're going to have to do something to fix this. But I think sometimes, even though I don't know if we would actually say that out loud, I think sometimes that's how we just view God, that he's just kind of reacting to what's happening. I never expected Adam and Eve to fall. I can't believe it. What are we going to do now? We better put a plan together. Jesus, are you going to... No. You know what it says in Ephesians? 
It says in Ephesians that this was planned out before time. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God had this in his mind. In his manifold wisdom, God saw us and had already devised a plan. A plan to what? Now, we think it's a plan to save us. No, no. You know what it was? It was a plan to reveal himself to us. Because it's his revealing himself to us that actually saves us. And the fact of the matter is, is if for whatever reason we think it was a plan to save us that he put into motion before time began, it means that we think we're the center of the universe when in fact God is the center of the universe. God is the center. We revolve around him. And so his intention in having us was to share his glory with us, was that as he enjoys himself, that we would get to enjoy him. And in order to enjoy him, then we need to be in relationship with him. Having the relationship breached and him recognizing and knowing full well that that would happen had already mapped this out before time. See, Jesus' sacrifice began before the foundations of the world because he knew what it was going to take to best and most fully express his mercy, his love, his grace, and his person. He wanted us to know without a shadow of a doubt how deeply he loves us. And so he, he put this into motion. Genesis 2. Father, we thank you for your word and pray, Jesus, that you would just reveal yourself to us in a new and profound and wonderful way, that we would see your love through your sacrifice and recognize that your sacrifice is far more than the cross, is awesome and unbelievable and, and adequate as the cross is, Lord Jesus. We see your sacrifice throughout, throughout your revealed life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. You ready? So we're in Genesis chapter 2. Now some of you have heard me talk a little bit about this. We're actually going to flesh this out in a deeper fashion this fall as we're going to start digging into Genesis chapters 1 through 4 starting in the fall. But I want to touch on this in this context. You ready? Here we go. Now uh, don't let me get on any tangents today. We're already going to go till 4 o'clock and I have a wedding in Columbus at 4.30 which means I have to get in my Learjet and go. Okay. You too. Mm -mm. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Verse 4. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the account. Now, in Ephesians, again, Paul reminds us that Jesus had this plan. God had this plan. In his manifold wisdom, he knew exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to go about it to reveal himself to mankind, to draw him into a relationship with himself, that we would have this relationship with him that would be fully engaged and manifest, that he would reveal himself that we might enjoy God. Wonderful, okay, right? So uh, here we go. Verse 4 says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. Now we'll stop there for a minute, because if we read this at a surface level, we'll go, and what do you do? Forget to put somebody there to work the thing. What's that? God created this thing and goes, oh, you know what? Shoot, I better create somebody to work it. No! He's unfolding in front of us. He's unfolding himself and his purposes, his wisdom, his will, his work. I love God. Great storyteller. Here we go. Ready? When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth yet, there was no man to work the ground. But, verse 6, but streams came up from the earth and it watered the whole surface of the ground. 
Just let that sink in for a minute. He had made the earth and it was void. He had not sent rain yet. As the earth now had been formed, he caused streams to begin to come up, bubble up from the earth. And as it bubbled up from the earth, it fostered, listen, life. See, this is a picture of Jesus, the wellspring of living water, that once he has been evoked by God in the hearts of men, begin to bubble up and life begins to form. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. Don't go too fast. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God did what? He did what? He formed the man. Now, this is where I want to stop for a minute. We're going to talk about the love of God and the manifold wisdom of God as he reveals himself to mankind as man can receive it and as God has ordained. And what he's done now is the whole earth is now coming to life and you can picture all the plants beginning to sprout and everything beginning to green up and to come to this beautiful flourishness. And it says that he gathered the dust and he formed man on the ground. Out of the ground, he formed the man. And there's a moment in time right here where I believe, and again, some of you have heard me say this. This is just an illustration I've used with, well, really, over the course of years. But this is what I want us to picture. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are standing there. And they, none of this is a surprise to any of them. They've been talking about this for a while. And it says that he gathered the dust of the ground and he formed Adam And I believe before he did what was next, he, the Father and the Holy Spirit looked at Jesus and said to him, are you ready? Are you ready? See, Jesus' submission to the plan that God would have needed to occur prior to Adam's breathing. And Jesus at this moment has to listen, has to take into consideration the next move. Because what the father had to say to the son was, listen, the moment Adam comes to life, the moment his lungs gasp and fill with air, the moment his eyes blink and open and light enters in is the moment the scars form on your wrists and your feet and your head. Are you ready? See, I believe the sacrifice of Jesus began at the formation of the plan. That there was no surprise between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there was discussion that had to be made, and that Jesus was willing to submit himself to the Father's will the moment Adam would breathe. So we read on. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now go to Philippians chapter 2 if you would. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Because what Paul does is I believe Paul is given a vision to see the conversation prior to Adam breathing. This is Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 3. 
We're going to start at verse 3, and this is really important because what verse 3 does is it sets in motion, it allows for us to see the heart of Jesus, and it sets in motion what it is he did and how it is he went about it. And the interesting thing is this command is to us, but it's an expression of God. Look what it does. Look what it is. We're starting at verse 3 again. So it says, do nothing. Ready? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Oh, stop. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. What's it going on to say? Or what? Or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Jesus, in having to agree with his Father, to submit himself to the will of his Father and the wisdom of his Father and the plan of his Father, to express their love perfectly by the plan that was set out, submitting himself to him, at that moment could do nothing out of selfish ambition. At that moment must act with humility. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, but in humility do what? What's that next word? In humility do what? Value or what? Consider. What did we talk about when we talked about loving wisely and we needed to learn to love wisely? We do that by being prudent. And we learned that being prudent, you had to learn to become what? In order to develop prudence, the ability to stand back and what? Consider the consequences. Consider the consequences of my actions, my tones, my words. Consider the repercussions of my decisions. Consider how this would impact or affect. Consider. Look what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility do what? Consider what? Consider who? Others. This is the great act of God. This is Jesus who when, who, when asked the question, are you ready, at that moment had to take into consideration who? Others. And that's exactly what he did. The will of the Father, the work of the Spirit, the hearts of the beloved. Jesus was called to take into consideration everything he would do from this point forward and what its effect would be. Consideration leads to prudence, leads to wisdom, teaches us to love. Let me say that again. Consideration leads to prudence, develops wisdom, teaches us to love. We love, but we don't know how to love. It is God who teaches us how to love, and he did so by being considerate, taking into consideration all things and then acting accordingly. What are we talking about? Wise love. Who demonstrates that? Jesus. How does he demonstrate it? By sacrificing. What did he sacrifice? Himself. For the sake of whom? The will of his Father and, the, and our lives. This is the beauty of our Jesus. This is the value he has placed on us. These are the considerations he made. Eternal life is the result. Being connected to the Father by the hands of Christ, through the Spirit of God, by the will of the Father. And all of this before time began. 
This was not happenstance. This was not reactionary. This was God saying, I love, and I, I am love, and I do love, and I want to love. And in order for, me to, for you to experience the love that I am, that I have, and that I have for you, this is the plan that will best manifest it. Follow me. Watch me. Here I am. See, that's love. And when we can begin to grasp such a love, we should be incredibly, listen, incredibly overwhelmed by that. That it's not reactionary. That God set this in motion by the expression of his glory, his character, and his goodness, the fruit of that character. And that we are the objects of his affection. And that he wanted us to know it perfectly. And the best way to show that was through sacrifice. And the one to do that was his son. And this was set in motion from the beginning. I go here for a reason. I had both the privilege and the, I don't know what other word to use. It's, it was certainly a privilege, but also the, I don't know, to bury a young man yesterday, 36 years old. And I've, uh, of all the people I've worked with over the course of 30 or 35 years in ministry, no one has shown me a more incredible perspective of God's love being unmerited. You can take that for how it sounds. This young man was a young man who on one extreme was one of the most generous and gentle and tender human beings I've ever met. And on the other extreme, I would shake him until his teeth would rattle because I'd be so angry with him. And never in between. Okay, so there was no rest with my friend Jake. None. Okay, it was one extreme or the other. But you know what he came to learn over the course of the last seven years of his life? God's unmerited love, period. That he had received from God love and, did, and desperately persisted in trying to figure out and live in that love while lacking complete and utter consistency in reflecting that love. And it proved to me God's furious and unrelenting grace and love in a way I've never seen before. And I had to do that funeral yesterday. And I got to do that funeral yesterday. And my own understanding of God's love got tested yesterday. Does that make sense? I want us to see how awesome this love is. Because here's the other part about it. What Jake did better than anybody I know was receive that love for what it was. He received it for what it was. Because here's the deal. I'm going to be honest with you. Here's the problem I think we all have. We don't know how to receive love, especially unmerited love, especially from love, a love from somebody that, where that somebody has sacrificed and we're not worthy of that sacrifice. Anybody? Anybody else feel that way? Anybody? 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 I do. So I need you to go to the notes for a minute. We're going to toddle down the notes, if you would, please. And just bear with me as we go and follow along with me. You ready? So the notes. Wise love, God's love. God, Jesus loves wisely. 
if not mysteriously. We do not deserve the mercy of God, the grace of God, or the love of God. Part of this wise love is his purposely expressing it to us at all, let alone when we least deserve it, as if we ever deserve God's love. Now, you'll see at the end of that, there's a verse. Well, every paragraph, there's about 35 verses in these paragraphs. Please, honestly, I implore you, go home and read them. Go home and read these verses. Let it, just swim in it. Okay, so here we go. In order for his love to be what, now, this is something I want us to catch, all right? Because this is often lost on us. In order for his love to be what it is, to do what it does, it must be what it is, love unmerited. Let that, let that sink for a minute. Honestly, 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 honestly. In order for God's love to be, as, to be expressed in, in, in its purest fashion and to actually be what it is, it has to be unmerited. Because God is love, he must love. He does love and he will love and there's nothing we can do to stop his love or to gain his love. And he loves us perfectly and there's nothing I can do to make him love me more or to love me less. It is love. And it's hard to take. It's really hard to take. See, Jesus said something very interesting. In unraveling everything religion, in fulfilling the law, Jesus said this. He said, the work of the believer, the work of the follower of God, the work of the child of God is not to perform the law. It's not to go through all these religious rigors. It's not the whole list of do's and don'ts. That is not, that is not what the Father wills. The will of the Father is that we would believe in the Son. The work of the believer is to believe. Why? Well, because we can't. We can't. We cannot believe it. It is so hard for me moment to moment to moment, thought to thought to thought, action to action to action, to believe at any given moment that God loves me. Yeah. That's hard enough. So what he's saying is simply understand this. My father loves you. That's it. And we go, come on, really? No, really. Well, what do I have to do? Nothing. Believe in the Son. That's it. Uh, There must be something more. Nope. Uh, But I, didn't I just, did you hear my, uh, nope. I love you. This is really hard. It's hard between humans. You ever been loved by somebody who you just didn't deserve their love? Whether they were a person you considered to be of greater stature or of greater depth or somebody who's done something for you that for whatever reason you, ha- you can't reciprocate. You don't want to reciprocate. You don't feel like reciprocating and yet they love you anyway. And you know how desperately you don't deserve it and almost how humiliating it is to have received it and then wish that you could do something in return and know that there's nothing you can do. You ever been loved that way? You know what my love language is not? Gifts. My love language is so not gifts that if there was no such thing as a gift, I wouldn't even know the difference. And as much as my love language is not giving gifts, it's less even receiving them. The hardest thing in the world for me to do is receive a gift. 
If I can receive a gift from you and do so without biting the end of my tongue off, you know I must love you because that's really hard. In my world, when somebody hands me a gift, my first, I gotta be honest, my first thought isn't, oh, thank you, you thought of me, awesome, you must love me. You know, my first thought is, oh, now I have to get you something. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Then if you do get me, if I did get you something and you got me something too and you give me the thing you got for me, it's always, oh no, I didn't get you nearly enough. the hardest thing in the world for me to receive a gift. That's so hard. Well, to some degree, that's true of all of humanity. It's hard for us to imagine that this creator God, this holy divine being, this father of all of creation would love me in such a way and I have nothing to give back. I can't, there's a, it's so hard to believe it's so hard to receive that love. See, that's why I want to engage today, even with each other a little bit. Because we lose sight of the fact that the only thing that matters, listen to me, the only thing that matters in all of this is that we know God and we know each other. Bless you. That we know God, that we're loved by him, and somehow we learn to love each other. So do me a favor. We're going to stop for two full minutes. I want you to talk to the person next to you about what you're getting out of this. Go. Talk to each other. Talk. Come on. Be un-American. Go. Or don't be Swedish, please. <laughs> and if there's somebody sitting with you that didn't come with anybody, engage them too for crying out loud. Be uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable. Reuben, you join that conversation right behind you. Yeah, there you go. There you go. What do you, at least as you talk, yeah, let's go. Two full minutes, you're only 30 seconds in. Come on, keep going. Chit-chat, chit-chat, chit-chat. Chitty-chitty-chat-chat, let's go. What are you doing all by yourself? You have another minute, another minute. Prime the pump, prime the pump. <laughs> Seth, did you not move? What are you learning? What are you picking up? Go talk to Corey for a second. We get 30 more seconds. I had a guy up there just doing his own thing. Keep going, keep going. Hi, did anybody talk to you? Okay, all right, awesome. We gotta give Seth some grace over here. He was messing around. Don't let the green hair throw you off. No, really. That's awesome. I love the bow tie, too. All right, here we go. You ready? Now, is this your first time at Mosaic? <laughs> okay. So here we go. Listen. Enough, enough, enough talking. Stop. 
You guys are so much better at this than the other services are. I want to party with you guys for sure. Okay, so here we go. Listen, Jesus partied. Read John chapter 1. Read it. No, John chapter 2. All right, so here we go. Listen, listen. How was it being church for a moment? No, how was it being church? Wasn't it fun? Wasn't it fun to actually be able to talk about what you're learning and even if that's what you did? Okay, so here we go. Listen. What are we talking about? We're talking about engaging. We're talking about Jesus loving us so much that he's willing to sacrifice and that his sacrifice began. That love, expression of love is not reactionary. This love is so profound. It is so wise. It is so incredible that he, it, is, it is the actual expression of his being in his wisdom in his desire to reveal himself to his creation that we might see him for who he is and enjoy him. And how hard it is to receive. Maybe that's why we don't slow down. Maybe that's why we have so much noise in our lives. Maybe that's why we don't engage with one another. Because if we do, bless you. We got sneezing going on over the place. All right, so go back to the notes for a minute. Boy, am I glad we got the rest of the day because this is going a long time. Here we go, you ready? Where was I? Anybody have any recollection whatsoever? You know what I think I might do? Oh, what was that? Oh. We weren't even supposed to be there yet. Okay. Oh, no, yes, we were. Okay, so here we go. So Jesus loves us wisely. We talked about that, right? We don't deserve it. In order, no, did I read this part? In order for his love to be what it is? Did I get there? Yes? All right. Okay. What we're going to do now is we're going to skip these notes because you can take them home and read them. We're going to go into the text that talks about where these notes came from. And it's this. We've already looked at Genesis 2 and the plan, and the conversation that occurred. We looked at Philippians where it expounds upon that. That Jesus at that moment laid down his glory and made himself nothing. Even though he was in nature, God did not hold on to that but let go of it. Did not use it to his own advantage but let it go. In that he sacrificed for him. If we were to go to Luke chapter 2 verse 7, you know what it says there? That he was born of a woman. That the glorious king, the creator God, not only let go of his glory and made himself nothing, but then came as a baby through the womb of a mother, a human being, trapped in flesh. Not only trapped in flesh, but confined in an infant. They would have to grow, according to Luke, it would happen to grow in stature and maturity and wisdom. That Jesus sacrificed all of that to be that person, to come to walk among us, to be the perfect representation of the Father here on earth. Colossians 1 and 2 and Hebrews 1 and 2. Jesus did that. He sacrificed all of that for our sake. And I believe daily he continued to sacrifice himself for the sake of his beloved. So go to John 16 with me, if you would. There's so much to see. Oops. We're going to start at verse 5. 
Now, I'm going to set this up for a moment. If we were to read John chapters 14 and 15, what we would see is Jesus is beginning, he's sitting down with the disciples, and it's near the end of his ministry, and near, near the end of his life. And he's saying to his disciples, I'm going to go soon. I'm leaving. And the disciples are beginning to get panicky, and they're beginning to be grieved by this. They're beginning to wonder what it is he means by he's going, and, he's, you know, and you'll see me no more, but then you'll see me. And they're, they're, it's just really confusing to them. And he keeps mentioning this advocate, this counselor, this one who's going to come, but he doesn't really explain it very well. And as he goes through all of this, he comes to this moment in the conversation, and we're looking at verse 5 now of chapter 16. It says, but now I am going to him who sent me. So he began, begins to give them hints. Now, through the course of the last year, he has said to them a couple times, the, the, the Messiah has to suffer and will be in the ground for three days, and then in, or the temple will be torn down and in three days. And he keeps mentioning these things through the course of his ministry with the guys. Now he's near the end, and he's saying, I'm going to be leaving, and I'm going to be go back. And, and all these things are happening, and the disciples are getting rattled. Verse 5 says, now I'm going. Now he's just saying it outright. Now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where are you going. Rather, you are filled with what? You're filled with what? You're filled with grief. Why? Why? Well, because their friend is going away. The friend is going away. Now, I want to go back to the whole essence of sacrifice for a minute. If we were to go back to Genesis chapters 2 and 3, something very interesting happened. And it was this. Adam, who had been formed out of the ground and who had the breath of life breathed into him, would walk with God over the course of time. And there's a moment in time when Adam and God have been hanging out and working the garden and doing all the things that two friends do, where God said, looked at Adam and said, you know what? Not good for the man to be alone. Now notice it was God who said it, and it wasn't Adam who said it. God said it is not good for man to be alone. And he said something very interesting. Now, first of all, it's interesting because he wasn't alone. He was with God. And we would think, well, this is awesome. It's perfect. Perfect job. I get to work the garden. Perfect environment. Perfect friend. I work with, walk with God. And yet God looks at the man and says, it's not good for you to be alone. But Adam didn't know he was alone. He didn't feel alone. He never realized he was alone. So God says something really interesting. He said, I'll tell you what. He goes, hey, not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. Fantastic. Well, what's the next thing God did? What is it? Well, we all think what? He made a helper. Took a bone out. No! It's not what happened. Go back and read the story. You know what he did? says, I'm going to go get all the animals I've created and march them in front of Adam and make him name them. What? Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper. Let's go get the animals. And you're going to name them. Now, I don't know how long it took because I can... Now, I heard a stat one time. I used to like be big into biology and anthropology and all kinds of archaeology and stuff. And I heard a stat one time that the 70, there are 70 life forms that go extinct every day on earth. 70 life forms go extinct every day on earth. Think about that. 70. Uh, if that's happening, and as, as the world again begins to slow down and kind of collapse in and on itself as it nears the end, and we, there are so many life forms that that many could become extinct in any given day, let alone per day. 
What must have been like a creation when everything was fresh and new? And he sits Adam down in the middle of the garden and says, I'm going to march everything I've created in front of you and you're going to name them. I have no idea how long that took, but I'm going to guess they had to have lunch a couple of times. (laughs) You know what's interesting about that whole event? You know what? Nothing got named. Woman. You know what? Nothing got named. Helper. You know what? Nothing got named. Eve. You know what happened the moment the last animal walked past Adam and the word woman did not come out of his mouth? Adam recognized for the first time that he was the only one, the only one of his kind in all of creation. Can you imagine the crushing loneliness that must have hit him at that moment. The crushing aloneness that must have overwhelmed his heart and his mind and the panic of recognizing that nothing in all creation is like me. See, God had the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each animal was created male and female in its kind. But for man, there was nothing. This is profound. See, we think there was only one Adam, but you know what? There were two. There was a second Adam. And the second Adam, his name was Jesus. Read Romans. And you know, this is what I think about Jesus grieving and about his sacrifice. See, look, go back to, go to John 16 with me again. Look at this. But now I am going to him. I am going to him. I'm going to be reunited with my father who sent me. None of you asks me where you're going. Rather, you are filled with what? Grief. Well, why? Because we're going to be separated. Because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your what? Good. It is for your good. Now, because it's us, we emphasize good. But what we need to recognize is Jesus' sacrifice because now the emphasis becomes on your. It is for your good that I will do this. In other words, I am sacrificing this for your sake. Yes, you are grieved, I understand. But in the long run, in my wise love, I realize that in order for you to be the best you can be, to to get everything that you need, I must go. And there's a sacrifice here. And what is the sacrifice? Can you believe, can you imagine, God, Jesus was both what? Man and God. Both. 100% man, 100% God. You know how many others there were on earth at the time? Anybody? 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 Zero. Zero. So now he had left his glory and the presence of his father and gone to earth and now separated from his dad. He is now among men, which is great because he's human, but he's also God. So he's not fully, though fully human, he's not the same as them either. And where did he stand in the midst of the universe? Right in the center. And how did he stand there? Alone. 
His sacrifice began before creation and it continued through his life and everything he did was an act of love by him by taking into consideration the needs of those around him and laying himself down. This is God's love. This is his wisdom. This was his purpose. And when Jesus said to his brothers, I have to leave, it wasn't merely that his disciples were grieved, but he had to have been grieved himself. How do I know that? Because he suffered the way I suffer. And I'm going to tell you, if my boy was here, I brought him up during the 9 o'clock. Listen, my son is home. You know what I love about my son? Everything. You know why? He's my boy. Right? And I raised him. Along with Sherry. I didn't raise Sherry too. That means Sherry and I both raised. <laughs> she raises me still today, if I'm being real. See, my flesh love looks like this I have four children, I have a house. You all build your houses right near mine. And when you have your grandchildren, you keep them here. Right? I've invested in them, and I've loved them, and I've trained them up, and I've adored them, and I've protected them, and I've paid for them, and I want them close. Isn't that what most of us as parents would love? And if those of us who are grandparents were to be honest, how far do, I, how far do we want our grandchildren from us? How about right here? And what does it feel like when they go away? What, what does it feel like when they leave? How long does it take our hearts to recover? Even in the midst of a living room where we know God willing we'll see them just in a month or two. It takes me and Sherry a week to recover from our kids being there. And that's not the energy they bring, although that's part of it. It's that there's a hole that's torn, retorn in our lives that they leave behind. See, this is what I believe about Jesus' sacrifice. He was alone. And he had 12 men who he loved passionately. And his flesh, I'm sure, wanted to hold on tight. But his wise love said, no, I have to go. And it'll be better for you if I do. See, the wisdom of raising a child is not that we keep them and hover over them and protect them and keep them on our hip, but in fact that we instill in them everything that they need to live godly lives and to impact the community and to make a difference for the kingdom and then watch them go away, to be effective, to be exactly what it is God had created them to become, where it is he had them to be, away. And Jesus knew this. And this was his sacrifice. This was his, I love you. That's amazing to me. Because this is what's going to happen. You're going to go home and read the rest of this text. He said, when I go, one man, one body, one place, limited, listen to me, limited in scope and power, when I go, I'm going to send you the advocate, the Holy Spirit. You know what he's going to be? He's not just going to be dwelling with you, John 
one. He came and he's made his dwelling among you. No, no. He's going to dwell in you. And then it'll be God, not God with you. It will be God in you. And no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what it is that God has for you and how far away God leads you, I am there also. Because you know what Jesus couldn't say? That. Not while he was in bodily form. His love for us was so profound and so deep and so sacrificial, he would give up the relationship to allow the Holy Spirit to move in and to work in us in ways that Jesus himself could not do the work. Although he was truth and he spoke truth, you know what he couldn't do? He couldn't convict us of our sin. Did you know that? How many times did Jesus speak and the multitudes came to Christ? How many times? Can you count them? How about zero? In fact, what did the multitudes usually do when Jesus spoke? They either wanted to kill him or they went away from him. What happened when Peter spoke at Pentecost? What happened? What did the Holy Spirit do? Cut through to the heart of things, right to the spirit of the man. And 3,000 people said, what do we do? And they were saved that day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit moved. Now, Jesus' work is completely and utterly sufficient. The cross is the apex of the sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice, living a righteous life and revealing to us the heart of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, and the truth of God. He was Jesus. He is Jesus. And he is our king. But he and the Father and the Holy Spirit work in chorus one another. They work in community. They work in fellowship. And where the Father set up the plan and Jesus, Jesus accomplished the plan, the Holy Spirit is who moves the plan. And he moves in us. You know what it says in John? It says that when we become children of God, the Father and the Son in agreement now come and dwell in us. You know how he does that? By the Holy Spirit. And everywhere he, we go, he is. And that is love. That is love. And that is sacrifice. And listen, that is wisdom. You think it would have been easy for Jesus to say, you know what, I'm going to give the Father credit for the plan, and I'm going to give the Holy Spirit plan, you know, credit for, for being the convicting and the convincing. And the... But he laid himself down. He submitted himself. He said, I love you, and I will love you wisely, and we will do this together. So, sacrifice. Today we're going to, band, go ahead and get in place if you would. We're going to celebrate, commu celebrate communion. A lot of times we talk about commemorating because it's a memory of what it is that Jesus did in terms of his death. But, and, that, and that is so true. But today I want to celebrate the fact that God, this, this is the expression of God's wise love. That his sacrifice began before the plan was ever set in motion. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew what he was doing because he knew how best to express his love and affection to his children and to draw them to himself. And this was the plan. And Jesus lived out the plan. And the Holy Spirit now moves the plan. So as we come to communion, we, we celebrate a, an open communion, which means if you're a follower of Christ Jesus, we invite you to come. And in coming, this is what we do. We sing a song first. And while we're singing the song, we pray that the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, would bring up to us any sin that we have not confessed or any wrong attitude we have toward an individual in our lives that needs to be dealt with. And as we deal with that with the Holy Spirit, and now he sets us right, we come forward down the center aisle, we get the elements, we bring them back on the outside, and then we take them together.
And this is what I would encourage you to do. If you're here with somebody, come down the aisle with them. If you're not here with somebody, grab somebody else. Just make sure their wife knows about them. <laughs> just, just walk with somebody. As much as I want us to concentrate on Jesus, I also realize that we're doing this together. Walk with each other. Talk with each other. Quietly. Reverently. But really. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate, to commemorate certainly your sacrifice, but also celebrate wise love. And I pray, Jesus, that today, as we receive you, we would not just receive these elements as a token, but actually a beautiful symbol of the expression of your perfect and wise love. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. You know, on a day like today, when we're talking about Jesus' sacrifice, we, we know that he overcame death. He's the Lord over all things. But this song declares something very beautiful. He's the Lord of life. Through his death came life. By that sacrifice, we are loved. And I feel bad for the baby and the baby's mom. Because the baby has no clue. <laughs> you know, there's something wonderful about communion that we miss out on. And I'm going to go back to, you know, the typical American stuff and the discomfort we have and groups and the fact that we do church by staring at the back of people's heads instead of actually engaging with one another. And we call that church. And oddly enough, what they did in communion, that, that when they would even have a meal together, they reclined into, they reclined into one another. Oh. In reclining into one another, there was, there was just this sense of camaraderie and touch. So this is what I'd like to do. If you came with somebody, lean shoulder to shoulder a little bit. Just lean shoulder to shoulder a little bit and stay there. And sense the fact that there is a brother or a sister there with you. Because this is fellowship. This is as awkward as this can seem, the fact of the matter is, is we're brothers and sisters. And there's an engagement to be had. So Jesus, at the table with his disciples, took a piece of bread. He said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. Whenever you eat this, you remember me. He says, at the end of the meal, he took a cup. He said, this is... This cup is a cup that represents a new covenant. The old has passed away. The old has been accomplished. It's been fulfilled. This new covenant is now my blood. This sacrifice is made by me for you. I love you. And whenever you drink from this, you remember me. It says that after the meal, they sang a song. Do I have time for a song? Oh, yeah. they're already saying it? Okay, we can do what we did the first service. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right, we're going to be church one more minute, okay? I know, I'm sorry. Forgive me for being church, but we're going to be church. This is why I'm going to close in prayer, and then please go out to the front yard and give somebody a hug. Just not a passerby, although you can if you want. I'm in each other, okay? So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you, Lord God. You've made us a body and a family. You've made us brothers and sisters. You've drawn us into fellowship with you. You love us.
And you didn't just sacrifice yourself on the cross so that that was the apex and the completion. Lord Jesus, you're, you had us in mind before the foundation of the world was laid. And your love was not reactionary. It was intentional and beautiful. Help us to receive it this week. And as we learn to receive it, may we then learn to give it. To a brother and sister in Christ who need the encouragement of the body and to the lost who desperately need salvation. May we be the expression of not only your love, but a love received and now a love given. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.